Oh. <laughs> you guys are running out of fucking air. Are you going to join me or what? Actually, pretty fucking good. <laughs> oh, Zoom just asked me if I was playing music. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Welcome back to Space Castle. It is your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy. My name is DT. My name is Seth. And I'm Alex. We want to talk about Halo, right, Seth? Yeah, in case nobody has guessed, <laughs> this episode's going to be about that fateful day, November 2001. It was a Halo of a time. Oh, no. I, I quit. I'm out. <laughs> and this is an episode brought to you by Seth alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I didn't have enough to say to fill the whole episode by myself. Well, I mean, we've got a listener question at Deep Space Recon, but otherwise, you've got the floor, man. Fucking do it up. Okay. Uh, I've just opened Pandora's box here. <laughs> <laughs> to nobody's surprise, Halo is my favorite game. Halo is wonderful, and we're going to talk about it. If for some fucking reason you have not played this, we are going to talk about spoilers, and I am deeply ashamed in you. Bye, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> What a start. <laughs> it's for real, though. Halo came out November 15th. 20th anniversary is coming up shortly after this episode drops. Uh, so be prepared for that. I will be playing it all day that day, probably. Mm-hmm. Combat Evolved. Combat Evolved. Uh, it has a very storied past. It has a very wonderful future, I think, with Halo Infinite. But the first Halo game was... Uh, groundbreaking might be a good way to say that. Um, revolutionary. It changed so much about the world and games. Like, it introduced a thumbstick looking for first-person games. Like, what? Uh, It was made in fucking 10 months. The multiplayer was made in four months. (laughs) They didn't didn't even work until five weeks before the game came out. Like, fuck, this game is buck wild. Yes. It's probably the most formative game of my uh, entire life other than... Well, Halo 2 is, other than uh, like Super Mario and stuff like that when I was playing games when I was little. But for me, it's like, oh boy, Halo. Like, I can't I can't think about my childhood without thinking about playing FPS with people all over the internet and my cousin. And, and there's a bunch of young kids in a convention somewhere that have PTSD from Alex just <laughs> fucking pub stomping them and... Stealing their fucking lunch money. I feel like everybody's got to have one pub stomp story where they got their shit kicked out of them at some land party. So Alex is just doing his duty. I don't have that for Halo, but (laughs) (laughs) you know the thing where you think back like, oh, if I'd spent all that time that I did that one thing on something productive, where would I be now? It's Halo for me. (laughs) Like I spent that much time playing Halo. Eh, Time enjoyed is never wasted. I was fucking just about to say that. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting platitudes up in here. DT, 
you know, it's my turn to get philosophical, Seth. Yeah, <laughs> it's true though. Yeah, I, I'll I'll get nitty gritty with a with a thing, and you can get philosophical. We'll we'll change up. You can hate something, and I can lavish like love and praise upon it for one episode. Yeah, but not this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Halo, combat evolve. The Xbox came out with Halo, so this is also a celebration of of the Xbox, right? Yeah, uh, which is maybe a hot take, but is my preferred gaming platform. Same. Yeah. Wait, ever? Yeah. Really? Not the original Xbox, but Xbox as a as a whole. Yeah, I, I prefer. I'm an Xbox player for sure. Okay. All right. I mean, I love my 360 and I love my Xbox One X. Uh, I hope to one day enjoy my Xbox Series X someday when they ever become available, when scalpers stop fucking stealing them out of my hands and selling them for $1,500 on fucking eBay. Anyway, I never actually owned the original <laughs> Xbox. I was an adopter when the 360 came out because I really wanted to play Mass Effect because I was a Bioware fanboy. Yeah. But uh, I did play a lot of Halo and Xbox at, at friends' houses because they were all huge into Xbox. It was a cultural movement at the time. That was when multiplayer really became a thing. Yep. Xbox Live shortly with, with Halo 2. That was like, I, I can't even imagine how the how the gaming world would be without Xbox Live debuting. That's fucking buck wild. I think you're absolutely right because like online multiplayer was like Doom and Quake and it was all PC based and it was really kind of niche. Like it was still kind of like a nerdy thing to do. And then like you said, like Halo kind of blew it wide open and made it mainstream and all the cool kids were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Halo 2, I remember Battlefield going online, Call of Duty, but like Halo for me, I remember it was one of those formative summers where like my parents were contemplating the move to Arizona. They sent me out to Ohio. I sat there with my cousin who is a big time gamer. Like he was the Mario and I was always Luigi growing <laughs> up when I was like little. And I uh, learned a lot from him just about like life in general. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I walk in and he's playing Halo 2 uh, right. It was like right after it dropped and it was on Xbox Live. It was multiplayer, which I think Seth's right. Like I don't even know where where gaming would be without Halo 2 multiplayer. But I remember I sat down. We like played a custom match. Their energy swords flying around everywhere because that's what you do when you're like 12. <laughs> and I was like, I I need to go to the bathroom. Can you know, like can you pause? it really quick and he was like no dude i can't <laughs> we're playing we're, yeah <laughs> and we're playing we're playing online with like a custom match with his friends who are literally probably like six doors down but still the concept that we could be playing on independent machines uh separately and it just completely changed my perception of, of games in general and I, I couldn't get away from it after that we played the entire summer i was there in ohio beautiful weather brand new place went outside like twice <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome it's halo to play dude yeah it it fully fully changed the way that my move went to we moved on my birthday to arizona i was not jazzed about it and then my parents gave me a mic xbox live and halo 2 <laughs> rip see you next year <laughs> yeah and i was gone i was i there was nothing else that i was doing after school i would be coming back i'd rip my homework out uh in like 20 minutes and then i'd be online for the next four hours damn until until i got peeled off the the joysticks to go and eat dinner <laughs> uh i'm just gonna say it right now when i was a kid me and my buddies were all playing like never winter nights and we, we were like gaming fucking snobs and when the first halo came out we kind of shat on it a little bit it's like oh <laughs> look at the textures and it's all square box 
environments and it's boring and it's dumb. And it wasn't until I matured and became a proper gentleman and an adult where I actually gained a much, much larger and, and genuine appreciation for Halo. And now I honestly fucking love it. And that's not due in any small part to Seth. So thank you for that, Seth. You've opened my eyes and made me a better person. <laughs> I am happy to help. I'm I'm sure that uh, uh, Noodle's YouTube video about it also helped because he articulates things better than I can. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, let's get into the story. I'm going to call on Seth for this because he's our, our resident Halo expert. Because, like I said before, when the, the game first came out, I thought it was very shallow, and I thought it was just another dopey, like, just a console launch title for the Xbox to try and move units. I didn't think it was going to be very good. Uh, it's it's deceptively deep and has actually kind of a really rich lore and story yeah. and universe going on that I, I think we should really delve into. That's actually what I want to talk about most. Um, I, like, I... I'm a huge fan of the multiplayer, right? But I'm a story person. I care about lyrics and songs. I care about... I'm, I'm a story person. Uh, and Halo's story and lore is, frankly, has no right to be as good as it is. Way better than it should be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I have said before, when I was younger, uh, but it, it still almost holds up today that it's like among the best sci-fi universes out there there's a reason why it's endured for so long and we're now celebrating the 20th anniversary with a new game coming out so yeah surprisingly before the first halo came out the prequel novel came out i obviously did not read that at the time because i wasn't like i wasn't in that level of zeitgeist where i was like picked up on it before the game was out like but i read it shortly after i played through the game the prequel novel is called The Fall of Reach. Uh, it's written by Eric Nyland, and I have said on several occasions that it is in my top three favorite sci-fi novels of all time. Dude, it is unreal. You expect a, a prequel storyline to Halo. You're like, okay, this is going to be about... Master Chief in high school. <laughs> no, it's not that. But it is that, actually. It's the entire Spartan program from inception until the first Halo game starts. Like that, It butts right up against it. And it's everything from when John is a nine-year-old kid on another planet, and it goes through their entire training and, and lead up to the discovery of the Covenant, the beginning of the war, and then butts right up against the game. But the story that's told is not like one of action and heroic fucking grenades killing grunts and stuff. It's, it's about like the loneliness and emotional state of the Spartan team. And it is fucking unbelievably good. Like, it is a magnum opus. It's so fucking good. I cannot implore people enough to read it. Even if you don't like Halo, it's an amazing science fiction book. Straight up. Sounds average to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like based on that description. It's a thing that's wild about this, right? Is that the story, like you said, is better than it has right to be. And the cool thing is that you can live that like you know vicariously through the video game yeah like you can kind of jump right in you know if I, I i i wish so badly that i could do that for so many books that i love that i could just jump right into a video game afterwards like actually experience the thing it's wonderful man the fall of reach highlights how unbelievably tragic the spartan program was master chief is a is a deeply sad character like, you kind of get that a little bit in the games because he's, like, the only Spartan for a while. Until Alex Carroll came along. <laughs> <laughs> I was not modified for one purpose. <laughs> you don't understand how sad it is. John loses all of his brothers and sisters, and, like, it's just... 
it's a sad time, man. But the world building is so worth it. And then leading into the the first game, so the the first Halo game does a lot of its storytelling with its environments and atmosphere because Bungie's wonderful and they only had 10 months to make a game. So they they leaned into their lack of time and resources with the story. So you get a lot of like sparse landscapes and like dead planets, which is partially because they didn't have time to do that, but also they they realized that they didn't have time and were like, okay, let's make a, a dead, silent world because it'll be easier to make, but also it, it's a very compelling story. I don't want to spoil too much. <laughs> do it. It's 20 years old. Fucking do it. Hey, guys. Darth Vader's Luke's father. What? Rosebud was the sled. <laughs> Snape kills Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> what? What the fuck? That one might actually be too close, Alex. Rip. <laughs> this is this is spoilers for halo not all spoilers ever <laughs> so the first part of of the game takes place on the ship right it's familiar you get it and then you're thrown shortly thereafter onto the first ring and when you when that level kind of loads up it's a complete 180 for the game it's quiet and eerie and um the music is totally different like when you you first walk out of that like med pod or that that landing ship uh escape pod is the word uh we and, knew what you meant <laughs> yeah and you see the ring rising up in the distance and it's just silent and you get this like little background of strings as an instrumental for the music it's just like two or three notes it's really quiet and eerie and the entire rest of the game is like this balancing act between like intense action and complete quiet moments of like contemplation and wonder and you just don't get games like that anymore and this is a fucking alien first person shooter like it had no right to be this interesting it should have been so straightforward and like shoot him up whatever yeah and there bungie was like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna make something cool <laughs> yeah you wanted a, a you wanted a shooter guess what nerd it's fucking art get wrecked <laughs> <laughs> they had to know what they were doing right it's a game designed for multiplayer yeah so the story they could have just left it by the wayside they could have made the the campaign shitty and just moved on mm-hmm. but it, it, it's not it's really good it's fun to play I rem- it's one of the only games that I, I purposely buy to play multiplayer but I'll still go and play the campaign because I want that story like if I, I there are plenty of games I've bought that I just jump in boom multiplayer that's all I'm doing because I was conditioned by Halo but like <laughs> This story, I have to go. I have to go and experience that. Like Destiny, I think when I picked up Destiny, uh, because Seth was like, "We have to be playing this if we're going to be friends." You, <laughs> you, you're gonna you're gonna play the game first, all the way through by yourself. And this is what you do, right? You 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 don't play the game with other people. You have to experience it on your own, and then you play multiplayer. I am the same way, actually. Like, for me, going through a game for the first time for the story is, is like reading a book. Like, I don't want to do it with other people. You don't read a book with somebody over your shoulder. Like, I want to immerse myself in that world, get lost in it, experience it fully, and then I'll think about jumping into multiplayer mm-hmm. or co-op or something like that. Yeah, I'm much the same way in that. And with Destiny, the first, Desti- like, debut vanilla year one Destiny was like that. Like, it had an interesting and compelling story. Multiplayer was just a part of that and that's not what destiny is now which is unfortunate but yeah and that's also probably a large reason why i don't play destiny anymore um but bungie when they really fucking go for it they they make stories that have no right to be as good as they are yeah yeah i feel like 
with when three four three took over with Halo, it was like a lot of people just sloped off. You know, they were yeah. like, I don't want anything to do with this. And there's there's precedent for that, right? With other studios taking franchises over movies, all that stuff. But three four three, I do think got the multiplayer right, which is oh yeah, is really the core of Halo. But they don't have the storytelling chops that Bungie did. Bungie had some fucking straight up geniuses. Like I don't understand how they did what they did in such a short time because it was fucking Halo was a RTS third person and RPG game like in different iterations up until they were bankrupted and Microsoft bought them and they were forced to make a first person shooter in 10 months. So something like they had maybe bits of a story for a year before that when Steve Jobs fucking announced Halo at <laughs> at whatever that show was to to make like this kind of un- okay <laughs> so <laughs> the the universe of Halo is so well thought out that it blows my mind it feels like it's a a huge long franchise but it was like that from day 1 right the believability of the the world our future technology like the unsc is advanced and they've made two or three science fiction discoveries right they discovered slipstream space and they've got some holograph technology and some really advanced ai but basically everything else is regular ass shit that you'd expect their starships or their spaceships are just massive titanium hunks with an engine on the back because that's the best that they could do and it's conceivable that the advancements would come through the military as well exactly and the whole universe is thought out so well and even the covenant how they they show up how they behave it's all like it's so well thought out that it is beyond what i would expect out of even even like a normal story driven video game i don't know if they got lucky and they're just like oh yeah this would work out really well and it fucking it does like I, I couldn't tell you why it's so perfect, but it's so believable that it's really hard to think about a future that doesn't look a little bit like Halo. I think it's it's due in part partially to Bungie just being a really good studio and being very clever and thoughtful and being and having really good writers. And I think a lot of the credit goes to the fact that they had to make this game in 10 months and have it be a launch title for the first American console released since the Atari Jaguar in, in 1996. <laughs> yeah. Like There was a lot of pressure on them get, to get this thing done. And what they did was, out of necessity, they wrote a story that, like you said before, takes place on an empty dead world, and they turned it into, instead of just being an empty game, a sense of atmosphere and, and foreboding and... It's a sense of isolation and fear, which is really cool. And there's long stretches of the game where you're not shooting anything, you're just exploring and walking along, and the adaptive music is playing behind you, and you, you feel like you're taking part on this grand adventure, and it's not just nonstop shooting like Doom. They did that because they had 10 months to make this game, <laughs> yeah. and they could have made a shitty game, and they could have just been like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's like, it's, you know, four hours of shooting things nonstop, blah, 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 and it's done. Let's ship it out there. Let's sell a million copies and launch this fucking console, and we'll do better in the next game. But what they did was they turned this first-person shooter into a contemplative and quiet and meditative experience because they had to, because they had to fill some time. But they did it in a way that it makes so much sense and they were so smart and so calculated about it that you don't realize that, yeah, they had to build this game in 10 months. And there's a lot of what a lot of people would, would criticize as being empty or repetitive, but somehow you don't, you don't feel that when you're playing it. It's really, really unique and very, very cool. 
so you, you what you're describing to me when I think about it, it's like you are in this you're experiencing this game and you're walking around and you're having contemplative moments then you have very aggressive like quick action packed sequences if if they made that by mistake what a happy accident right because it it does feel vast you feel like a small spartan walking through a very giant universe and you're trying to make an impact which is so interesting to me it's so cool that's exactly what it is you know a lot of people criticize halo with the like oh it's it's blocky it's gray it's all concrete but if that's there and prevalent, it's because they thought ahead to multiplayer. And I, I, I think they knew that that was going to be one of the selling factors for Halo. Well, and that's also the thing is that like, it's not, it's a little bit low polygon, but it's full of bright purple hallways and like blue alien blood splattered on a wall that you, there, you don't see any aliens where, what, why is the blood there? What, what is this? It is a very colorful game, but they use it properly. Like it's not just green alien plants and blue flowers and shit strewn everywhere. Like it, it's it's very purposeful color. So the the gray and concrete that everybody criticizes is like yeah, that's that's so that when you hop into an alien spaceship that's fucking bright purple, it feels alien. Right. It feels un like it feels weird. Yeah, there are dark shadows in this world, and then it lights are stronger in the contrast yeah i don't know how they did it but everything is so purposeful it's fucking wild (laughs) i think we should talk more about the xbox because this is the xbox's anniversary just as much as it is halo's anniversary true for me they're the same the xbox og is halo yeah master chief is microsoft mario it's their sonic it's their crash bandicoot he's screened onto all of the recent xbox console motherboards for the last two or three generations he's their mascot for sure for good reason it's kind of hard to distinguish between the two do you guys remember did you ever watch that launch event with bill gates talking about the xbox i don't think so probably oh my maybe, god maybe after the fact but uh fucking you may believe this or you may not, but Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the guy who unveiled the Xbox <laughs> on stage. I remember he, that. Keanu Reeves did? Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was out there with Bill Gates. It was it was him and Bill Gates on stage, and they fucking unsheathed the Xbox on stage. It, fuck, it was such a weird... <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> can you smell what the Gates is cooking? <laughs> if you can find it on YouTube, you should fucking watch it, man. It's so... Like, watching it now, I think I saw it recently maybe a year or two ago and so i don't i don't remember why but watching it, it's like it's so uncanny and unusual and like it reminds me of when you know steve jobs first unveiled like the ipod and it was like it, they didn't quite understand like show unveilings yet so it's like it's a little it's clunky and it's like Awkward, full of yeah. weird gimmicky like yeah it, it's super weird man but it's so funny in retrospect i remember when i first got my xbox I, I i remember feeling like it was a huge step up and i lost my mind i was like this is insane the mechanics are so much better the visuals are so much better can we talk about how the duke absolutely revolutionized what controllers are like no okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's talk about that controller because that controller is it's gotten a lot of love a lot of scorn a lot of confusion a lot of misunderstanding over the years there's that very famous Penny Arcade comic where they talk about how they replaced Gabe's Duke controller with a grizzly bear, <laughs> and, he doesn't, and he doesn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> Back when Penny Arcade was funny. Oh, did I say that? Oh, oh oofa no. Oofa. <laughs> oofa doofa. Hachi machi. What are we doing God here? <laughs> damn. 
God damn. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> so the Duke, it's got lots of pluses and minuses, but it did a thing for me that changed my whole like gaming future at the time. Because I, I had been playing with PlayStation controllers and N64 and all that stuff, right? But what the Duke did, and Xbox in general has maintained, thank God, is they switched the D-pad and the left analog stick. Mm, yeah. Intuitively, that makes you want to use the left stick instead of the D-pad. Whereas with the PlayStation, you just get used to having both thumbs like low and using the, the joystick like that. But at the time, that was not a thing. So switching the D-pad and the left analog stick and then also launching with Halo is like, okay, here's a new, a brand new like controller layout scheme. We're going to use an analog stick to look around. You've got different buttons. You've got a bunch of extra buttons on the controller. There was like fucking a billion buttons on that controller. It was a white button and a black button and the middle button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like 14 buttons. It's like a fucking keyboard. Essentially. <laughs> there was a lot. Uh, so here's a bunch of buttons. Here's an entirely new controller scheme. And here's a new controller layout that is easier to adapt to this new controller scheme. Get ready to have your mind blown. <laughs> it makes a big difference, though. I remember, I mean, when the, when the 360 came out and they added the extra, the bumpers, it was nuts. Like, people lost their minds in the Halo, like, universe. Because yeah. I'm, like, playing multiplayer with these people. They're, like, some people just clicked onto it really quick and they were good. You know, they're they're switching a bumper jumper. They're going crazy. They're flag running like it's their oh, fucking job. Oh, bumper jumper. And, <laughs> and, and instead, like, so, some other people, right, like my, myself included, it took me a second to just get there. You know, I had to figure out how to throw grenades again. That was weird. Yeah. And now, can you even think of a game that doesn't use right bumper to throw a grenade? No. No, not at all. That's just how games work. Yeah. It's like anytime you pick up a controller with a new first person shooter now, it's like left stick move around, right stick look around, right triggers gun, left triggers aim, right bumpers grenade. And if that's not how it is, you done fucked up. You met, yeah, you, something's wrong here. Yeah, that is one thing that Call of Duty contributed was left trigger aim. But everything else is straight out of Halo, man. The whole industry was like, hey, uh, Halo did a great thing. We're just going to just do that. I think Call of Duty and, and Halo really informed that like completely. Because I, I had to switch back to Recon. And that's how I prefer to play my, my thumb layout for uh, controller settings fucking uh, nerd play multiplayer yeah i know well whatever yeah i mean if it if it works for alex don't knock him like think of all the children's whose lives he's destroyed <laughs> like he's doing something right <laughs> there was a lot of conversation like when you get to the like higher level of play and and multiplayer when you start playing with people who do it for a living they they talk about it a lot like what are your settings like what do you do and most pros for halo would play uh sensitivity two to six would you think like oh they're running around with like eight nine ten sensitivity so because it's faster but no like they realize that your reticule is going to be centered more often if you're having a slower sensitivity and those are the people that can just mow it down with sniping mm -hmm. i guess i got on this tangent because a lot of the like controller things became intuitive for me like i i figured out how to move around and once you can move and look you're already ahead of the game when it comes to multiplayer yeah we would we would run sessions where it would load in lockout and just you'd jump in and then you'd shoot every fusion coil you could see and and we'd time ourselves like who could do it faster hell yeah that's a, that's the kind of thing that i notice um with people who aren't gamers but are trying to get into games um you know trying to pick up halo for the first time or, or portal or something that's the thing that they seem to struggle with the most is they don't have that intuitive move and look sort of mental layout 
the puzzles in Portal is fine. It's it's the moving and looking that they struggle with most up front. Because I don't know if we've just gotten used to it or or what, but that's hard to adapt to if you don't play games. So my example of that is my dad. He plays a lot of video games. He he loves them, and certain games have been off limits for him because he he, he didn't do the the thumbs right. Right, like it takes a while to adapt to it if you don't know what you're doing. But I remember once he figured it out. Like I think he picked up an FPS that he really wanted to play. Like it was probably like the Call of Duty, one of the World War II ones. And he jumped in, he started playing it, he figured it out because he had to. And then after that, the breadth of games that he was playing completely expanded. Yeah. It opened up an entire world of of new games. So like now he's, you know, he picked up Horizon Zero Dawn, he picked up whatever, you know, like, and it was just intuitive. He's got yeah. it immediately. Thanks, you Halo. Know, no problem. Yeah. No problem with anything like that. So. Yeah. Left stick move, right stick look. Thanks, man. That's, that's, it seems like a no brainer now. Like, obviously, you got two analog sticks and I need to do two different movements. Like, what other options are there? But we used to use like the fucking C buttons to look around. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is like, even in 3D software, right? Like, I'd rather use an Xbox controller to navigate some software like that than than a mouse and, and keyboard, which is wild because, you know, if you think about it, like a mouse and keyboard, you're on you're on a 2D plane. You technically have more ability to move around to look and whatnot. But I'm so keyed into that movement from the sticks mm-hmm. that I would rather use that to navigate around like a 3D space. It's it's so intuitive even that they're still using left and right thumbsticks to move and look inside VR where you move and look with your body. Right. <laughs> you still can you still can and still do use thumbsticks to do the same thing it's it's so i don't know ingrained that it, it like it's hard to get away from now actually <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah no if you if you ask me in vr what i would prefer to move around with i'd probably say like the joy cons you know like give me the switch joy cons and i'd move around like that because i could have them separate i wouldn't have to be bunched up in the middle mm-hmm. but it's still the same mechanic um and all my buttons are there and easy to access. Yeah, and that's that is how uh, VR controllers are each one in each hand. Um, but we'll talk about VR some other time because I'm I'm digging real deep into it these days. Oh yeah, you're you're down the rabbit hole. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I would be as soon as I got a, a headset, and I put it off for very long. Seth lives in the oasis now. Yeah, <laughs> dude, if only. Um, we're not quite there yet. Soon though. Fucking, what's crazy is you can if you fucking want to. You can load up the Master Chief Collection on Steam and play it in VR if you want to. You basically just put a a big fucking screen in front of your vision and you can just sit down and fucking play Halo inside VR if you want to. I don't know why you would because VR headsets don't look quite as good as like a 4K monitor does, right? But we're getting close to that. I honestly cannot wait to play Halo inside VR. Like for real 3D, like a VR Halo game will be so crazy. I, Goldblum, this is an important episode. We're 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 fucking talking about Halo and Xbox. Yeah, like, man. Can can you give me a snooze button? Like just a just just like <laughs> five or ten more minutes, my friend. All right, we've got messages from Earth. We got to take care of, and then as soon as we come back, we're gonna keep talking about Xbox and Halo because this twentieth anniversary is very important. Hi, I'm Kay, and I'm Jay, and we give you the Fuck My Work Life podcast, the weekly podcast where we read your workplace stories to you. Hilarious mishaps. I lost my balance and grabbed the only thing I could to steady myself. I grabbed a teetering stack of about eight sheets of drywall. 
I hit all of my knees and elbows on the way down. <laughs> all, all of them. Of them. <laughs> Workplace shenanigans. Carl and Ted had super glued all Bob's pencils and pens to his desk. Full disclosure, I smoked a lot of weed at that time. <laughs> Awkward encounters. As he's wandering around the party girl section exactly. of a clothing store. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at FMWLPOD. That's FMWLPOD. Email your stories to FMWLPOD at gmail.com. That's FMWLPOD at gmail.com. All right, as always, some uh, some very informative messages from Earth. Uh, we've paid the bills, we've kept the power on, and all those things you're supposed to say when you're a podcaster. But most <laughs> importantly, we, we've kept Goldblum happy. Yes. Yeah, we don't want him to turn into a murderous being. Yeah, I've 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 read that book and it's not good. <laughs> I've seen that Kubrick movie. Yeah. <laughs> We're still talking about Halo and uh, Xbox and the 20th anniversary of both of them. It's a big deal, and I I want to I want to get back into it because um, I still have things to say. Surprise! <laughs> I still <laughs> want to talk about Halo. Um, so there's a couple of things that you should know, and that is if you're going to hop into Halo for the first time, do not. I repeat. I repeat. <laughs> do not play the anniversary edition. No. Oh no. No. It don't, it's don't, fine don't do it. on a second playthrough or third playthrough or whatever because the the updated graphics are pleasant to look at however it completely ruins the entire atmosphere of the game and you should not play it <laughs> they fucking butchered the the whole point you remember how we talked about the quiet empty moments of this dead world yeah those are gone in the anniversary edition it's full of like weird life and extra sound effects and it's not good they ruined the whole atmosphere of the game and i do not recommend playing the anniversary edition unless you play it after because the updated graphic it's really cool to watch a, a grunt in very high definition get his head blown off but don't <laughs> don't do it first no playing the original and playing the anniversary edition it's like that scene in the godfather it's like oh look at the look at the master good my boy you can play like the master chief collection version but just switch to the older graphics and sound it still has some updates that kind of ruin it so if you can get your hands on like an og copy do that but the if you switch to like the old school graphics version on the anniversary edition, it's still very close to the original. So that's that's how you should play it the first time for sure. Don't at me or do. I'll fight me. I don't care. <laughs> Everybody <right>. at him. <laughs> yeah, at him right now. At me, cowards. <laughs> how do you rank your Halo games? How do I rank my Halo games? Almost uh, chronologically. <laughs> wow. I gotta say, in order, yeah. Halo 1, Halo 2, Halo 3, by far the best. Halo ODST is amazing. Even though it doesn't follow Chief, it's still a great fucking game. Halo Wars is excellent. Uh, good story. And also, it was it's a really cool thing to see, like, what Halo was before it was Halo. Because Halo Wars is, like, how Halo was for most of its development life until they switched to a first-person shooter. Um, so it's, it's cool to see, like, an RTS in that universe because it, it plays quite well <laughs> surprisingly I, yeah for me it's it's you know it's two three five four reach really yeah well no one's in there two three five one reach four 
ODST, and then and then Halo Wars. I cannot believe you like Halo Five better than the first one. No, I cut. Who cares about the rest of your list? Nobody cares about the rest of your list, Alex. I cannot believe you like Halo Five better than the first Halo. That's unbelievable. This is how much Seth loves Halo. Because when I told him I didn't like the Last Jedi, he did not get this worked <laughs> up about it. <laughs> I played two before I played one, right? So I, the first time I ever played Halo 1 was at football camp. It might as well have been a LAN party because we have so many little breaks. And I uh, decided to go into this little tournament that, that people were, were hosting. And um, I think I walked out with a little bit more cred. Who could have thought that I might actually like a football camp? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a strange experience. At one point, uh, there were rolling chairs and there was a broomstick and some trash can lids and there was jousting. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> but we also played Halo in the rec room. Like there was pool tables and foosball tables and whatnot. And then one couch with the TV and the TV had one game and it was Halo. And I was like, hey, I know this game. Wait a second. It looks so strange and blocky. <laughs> oh, it's just Halo Combat Evolved. I went back, of course, and played the game. But I, it was the first time I played it. It was multiplayer. And I did not realize how powerful the Magnum was, which is nuts. Yep. But yeah, so I was wandering around with the Magnum and Sniper that entire match and just demolished everyone. Yeah, like you do. Uh, because, you know, once you, once, if you know how to play multiplayer, you just do it. But yeah, yeah, no, that's my order. I don't know. I, I like five a lot. Uh, I like the the story. I like the mechanics, the, the new guns they introduced. I think like it, it, you know, that sci-fi realism that you were talking about, you know, once the rail gun came into play, I was like, this is, this is interesting. I see that in sci-fi novels that I'm reading. I see that. Um, in terms of like the natural progression of firearms, um, you know, because you get a bunch of these like wacky alien weapons, which, you know, as they should be, they're alien weapons, but you, there is a really strong adherence to, I think like a good progression of what firearms would look like in the future. So I, I, I don't know, you know, like Halo, what was it three that brought about the Spartan laser? Yeah. Um, and you're, you're getting launched in, I remember playing the beta versions of three and, you only had like a couple maps like Valhalla was one of them. Oh, and it was man. just wild because you just grab a Spartan laser, you launch yourself into the middle of the map and try to snipe somebody with yeah. this giant <laughs> cannon. And it, it just made no sense. And I, I, I loved three. Three was like for me where I played most multiplayer, probably, even though two was like where I got hooked. I probably played the most time in three. I think I don't think I'm in the same boat. Uh, however, Halo four is probably my least favorite Halo game. Wow. Okay. Well, I've heard that before. I heard Reach is usually the one that people dunk on, but I actually think Reach Reach did something really good with multiplayer. Reach is okay. I so being such a huge fan of the story, I have I have significant problems with Halo 4, 5 and Reach. They'd pull kind of a a Disney for Star Wars thing where all of these events have been novelized for years and the games are just like mm, no, we're not going to do that. These characters are different now and the story is different and the events that happen are different and they happen in different order and it's... Fuck you. Yeah, it's, it's not good. <laughs> Story-wise, I was revitalized by Reach. A lot of people give give Reach shit and, and when I think about it, I'm like, Noble Six was, was interesting to me. Yes. Like I was into that like team atmosphere, the you introduce a female Spartans like... Dude, you've got to read the Fall of Reach. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm gonna I will put that on the list. I have I have a, an unreasonable attachment to Sam and Kelly for reasons you'll know if you read the books, and that's why I'm heartbroken about Sam. Anyways, 
Halo Reach did a good thing because they conveyed a lot of that story, but that story has already been told two weeks before the original game came out and they just f fucked off with it. There was like, nah, it's either non-canon or they're just, they're different universes now. Like it, they just obliterated the whole thing. So that's, Reach is a good game, but I have problems with it because it, of the story that it breaks. It ruins a lot of the story which sucks, but it, the game itself is quite good. I think it, it gets a lot of unjust hate. Halo 4, however, deserves all the hate that it gets. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Reach introduced the Grav Hammer 2, which was so wild. I rem I was so pissed, right? Oh, here's another tournament story. Uh, in college, Reach was like the game that everybody's playing. So I go down to the South Campus and I play in this tournament. It was like a fundraiser, so you pay 10 bucks to enter. And then if you win, you get some sort of un unknown prize. So I'm in the final match and they switched it to just like grab hammers. I'm like, what are you, what, Why? what are you doing? <laughs> like I've, this entire time we're playing the actual game and they switched it to some weird custom match, like golf game, grab hammer nonsense. I got lucky and I won a $15 gift card to Bookman's. <laughs> yeah. I came out five bucks ahead uh, to a very specific place, but Bookman's is rad. So anyway, but the Grav Hammer like threw in a lot of crazy stuff too. And that's, that's like when people talk shit about reach, that's what I think about is like, ah, that one doesn't, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. It's a melee weapon that nobody would use. Why would you just use an energy sword? That's better. It is. It's just cause it's fun to watch ragdoll physics. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Halo reach is solid middle of the pack. But I think everybody thinks that it's towards the bottom, but it's it's really not. For me, Halo Wars is is at the bottom, and ODST I, I would rank lower than you did. Yeah, I mean I get that. ODST is the one that I like. I might just have a fondness for, um, and it may not be as good as I think it is, and that's okay. Like the Last Jedi? No, <laughs> not like that at all. It's a it's it's more story driven, so I get it. But it, to me, it was flat and it was boring. Yeah, and I get that. Um, and it, it was <laughs> my rankings as with all things for Halo are so unbelievably biased and subjective based on my, my story experiences. Like Halo four is not a bad game, but I hate it so much because of what it did to my boy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously you knew going in, I, I can't be unbiased about Halo, man. There's no. There's no way I can rank them properly, except for the first trilogy. One, two, and three are easily the best. <laughs> and that's, yeah, they're great. One thing I think we should touch on before we wrap this up is we should talk about the music for all the Halo games, but specifically the, the first, you know, the first Halo game. Martin O'Donnell uh, composed the, uh, the score for the game. And it's wildly unique because they were the first, one of the first early adopters of adaptive music. Like it was them and kind of like Rareware who were, and Nintendo in a lot of ways as well, who were, you know, making music part of the actual story instead of just set dressing. And what Martin O'Donnell did with Halo is weird and subversive and beautiful and haunting and weirdly tropical in some points because it takes place on like a sort of a tropical sort of setting. But it's it's not the type of music you would have expected from a first-person shooter that came out in 2001. Definitely, it's, it's not metal riffs. There are some metal riffs, but it's it's very quiet and it's it, it accentuates experience instead of becoming like overstaying its welcome or something. It's it's lovely and it's masterful. How have we not talked about music yet in this episode? <laughs> uh, I got you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking unreal. They've got a little bit of those metal, but there's also fucking 
a choir and strings and single instrument soundtracks like that. It, 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 yeah, completely revolutionary to the whole fucking genre, man. I don't know. It makes it contemplative. There's so much that music can do in a video game. You know, when you play Mario, you're super happy because, you know, but then when you load up Halo, you get what we were <laughs> spoofing on at the beginning of this episode. This really contemplative choir kind of, it gives you the experience that this is vast, it's big, it's huge. It's, it's like, just, you're wow. about to do some epic shit. Yeah, exactly. The music really conveys how vast and somber this entire story is, which is how war can be. Like, war's not this fun, action-packed thing. Like, it's, it's sad and it's terrible and and the music is what really sells that for this game in my opinion yes there's um you know you get a lot of the the quiet moments of a, of an empty dead ring right but without the music those are just quiet moments with the music it's often no music that conveys that like the lack of background track that's like wow this is this suddenly feels lonely because there's no music even there's nothing it's just me Right. And what I find interesting is that it jumps so much from mood to mood, you know, because that's what I feel like video game music is trying to do is it's trying to kind of, uh, you know, shape the feeling that you're having during these particular sequences. Yeah. But you get like you get those string moments that it's kind of like what you feel when uh, like the Pirates of the Caribbean theme. You know, it's like this is jaunty and it's fun and I'm we're going on an adventure. And you get a little bit of that when you get into actual, you know, into the Halo rings. You know, when you're driving around in a warthog or you're experiencing it for the first time, you get a little bit of that. But um, and it's a totally different experience from what you get when you boot up the game. So you get somber, but then it's like, this is what I would actually be experiencing, right? It's like, I'm in a completely new place. I'm scared, but like, all right, here we go. Yeah. I'm scared, but excited a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And that the music perfectly perfectly matches that basically every time like whatever mood like you expect to feel like if you just saw the things that were happening on screen that mood that you kind of expect is probably the mood that the the music is conveying man this game is still fucking good <laughs> good game it's pretty okay yeah yeah it does make me want to load up halo again and jump into a I yeah I'm what I'm gonna do once we're done recording this episode is well first of all I'm gonna fire up Animal Crossing and meet up with my dude Brewster hey who's finally been added to the game but after that I think I'm gonna fire up Halo and maybe see if I can drag Seth and Alex into playing with me a little bit I don't know, I, if see. we play Halo two, Halo two had all of those like quirks the glitches that people took advantage of both competitively like we haven't talked about that but there's so many that you could just you could get out of the map and I don't know if it was intentionally designed but. It feels like it has to be, dude. I spent so much time getting out of the map. I that was okay. Halo Two <laughs> sparked Seth again. Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up. Hey, Halo Two was my was my like. In this is a a little bit of a leap, but uh, you'll get it. Uh, was my introduction to hardware hacking, and the reason I say that is because I spent so much fucking time finding like exploits and hidden areas of maps and like secret places in Halo 2 that I started doing that with the shit around me on my desk instead. That's how like my my first ever console mod was I, I cut the Halo 3 logo into the side of my 
Xbox 360 and backlit it and all that stuff before Halo Dude. 3. I did that like pre-launch as like a getting ready for launch kind of thing. And now I do shit like that for almost every game and movie I'm stoked about. I do like a, a rewatch or a replay through of the whole series or I'll make something like I'm fucking working on the Halo Infinite Master Chief helmet right now, which you can check out on my Instagram if you want to see build progress. I'm trying to make like a really perfect version of that as getting ready for Halo Infinite. That That started with... Halo 1 and 2, getting out of maps and, and finding glitches kicked off my whole like maker, hacker life. It's wild how much time people spent to figure out those things, right? Like sometimes I'd wonder if the the game makers just leaked some of that stuff. Like, oh, we baked in this little thing that was fun. But a lot of it, I feel like just people figured out how to do this. Like they Definitely. figured out how to butterfly jump. <laughs> you empty a rocket launcher and then you can just like uh, fly your way to the top of a map just because of the mechanics of the way the game works. And you can hit these particular spots in a map and it'll super bounce you to the top of a map. And now like people would use those exploits in matches and they didn't get rid of them in competitive play. You could, you could use a BXR. You could quad shot because it's just baked into the mechanics of the game. You can grenade jump. They didn't, they didn't try to change that. No, and that's, it became a part of, of uh, competitive play too. And for me, Halo, when I think about Halo, I also think about MLG. I can't like separate those because yeah. I think it really kicked off the MLG space. Competitive gaming and esports that we have now, I think really began there. Yeah. Because there were teams that people were following. And it, it wasn't like it, when people talk about esports now, they're like, oh, League of Legends and StarCraft and whatnot. And I was like, I'm back in the day. Well, to be fair, it all started with StarCraft in the 90s yeah, yeah yeah but yes i i definitely think that uh, halo's what brought shooter for like first person shooters into esports for sure yeah yeah and and that's i just find it wild that the the game's exploits were baked into their competitive spot like you you couldn't you couldn't play competitively if you did not know how to do a bxr if you if you didn't know that you could grenade jump onto this ledge and get behind this little thing you would get fucking sniped there all the fucking time you wouldn't even know why it's wild. Yeah. I love that shit. What a game. Speaking of, <laughs> of, of which, there is there is a community-made version of Halo that uh, is just a little sidebar real fast before we wrap this up that I think everybody should check out if you get a chance. It's called Halo 2600, and it is an Atari 2600 port of Halo. Oh, my God. I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> it's, fuck, it's rad as shit, man. It's so dope. I love it so much. It's awful, but it's great. I was hoping when you said 2600 that that's exactly what that was going to be. And I'm so happy. And okay, I'm no longer going to play Animal Crossing. I'm going to look this shit up yeah. first and try that out and then go play Animal Crossing and then go play the original Halo. Yeah, dude. Halo 2600 is wonderful. It's the kind of thing that like only comes out of pure passion for a project. Like Halo made people love Halo, which like you get, you know, I, I like Mass Effect. I like other games, right? But I I wouldn't carve up my only xbox to put a mass effect logo on it i i have done that for halo i love the idea and the mechanics and the spunk and the fucking tenacity of this little scrappy game that turned out to be fucking bananas amazing and that's the kind of shit that spawns a atari 2600 port <laughs> Happy anniversary, Halo. Happy anniversary, Xbox. You changed the landscape forever, man. Like, yeah, go. Nothing, nothing but respect and props. Yeah. Okay. I think I think I got Halo out of my system, friends. Uh, well, <laughs> not really, but I think I've talked about it enough before. Like, 
nobody wants to listen anymore. So DT, you got you got any Deep Space Recon that's not a Halo ring? Oh yeah, yeah, of course I do. Absolutely, it's not a Halo ring. Uh, I'm keeping with this sort of. Uh, it's not quite retro. I wouldn't call a Halo retro. Halo is retro gaming now, isn't it? Damn. Fuck. Uh. Twenty years old, baby. <laughs> God damn it, we're old. Because my, my Deep Space Recon, what I want to share with you guys, with our audience, is a retro gaming channel on YouTube called NES Complex. Cool. And uh, it's, I would call it like a, like a middle-sized channel. It's not gigantic. He can always use more listeners and, and more subscribers. But it's not small either. He's been doing it for probably about a decade now. Dude by the name of uh, Chris Woodside. And it's a very, uh, very brief, but very full of energy and full of vibrance and full of appreciation YouTube channel all about classic Nintendo games. Nice. So he'll just, he'll throw out a, a, like a quick game review and instead of saying like, you know, five stars out of 10 or whatever, or, you know, whatever. It's like the, the one question he asks is, is it fun? And he'll say, yeah, this game's fucking fun. Everybody should play it. Or like, no, this is a terrible game. And that's it. But he'll give you reasons why. He goes back and he does retrospective views of old issues of Nintendo Power, which I really dig for some reason. I don't know why, but I love watching videos on YouTube of people going back and flipping through old magazines. Like, it stirs up my happy childhood memories of getting, you know, Nintendo Power issues in the mail once a month and, like, getting all amped and psyched for the games that were coming out and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a really good channel. He's um, He's actually a really funny, witty guy. He's just out there just expressing his love for, for old Nintendo games. And who doesn't love that? Yeah, hell yeah. Two important questions. Is he wearing a power glove while doing the videos? And second- No power glove. No power. Oh, man. All right. Well, how about Archon? Has he done Archon yet? Because I'm into that. Shit. I don't know if he's done Archon or not. Well, 1983 release. What are his thoughts on Bob? <laughs> I don't think he's done Bob. Maybe we'll, we'll petition him. We'll at him and make him do a video on Bob. He's certainly done Contra by now, right? Like. Oh, yeah. Bob yeah. is a terrible game that I am deeply in love with. <laughs> <laughs> His video about uh, why uh, Super Metroid works and why it's so successful is excellent, too. The dude's got a lot of really good points. He's got a really good perspective on classic video games. It's it's really good shit. So go check out his his channel. Subscribe and smash the bell and, and like the like and all the things that you got to do to help him grow his channel because he's awesome. And that's one more time, NES Complex, right? N-E-S complex. Here, One word, N-E-S capitalized. Yeah. Here's a guy who knows a Konami code. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's got a dope logo too. Like his whole presentation is great. Like he's just a joy to watch. It's Excellent. great. Excellent. Do we have, do we have an audience question? No, we, no, we don't have an audience. They've all gotten bored listening to us talk about Halo and they've all left. So I didn't even look, I didn't even talk about chapter eight in the fall of reach. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's... There's so much more to talk about. <laughs> Go read The Fall of Reach. Bonus episode coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, chapter 8, man. That's all you need. To, if you read only one thing, read Chapter 8 of The Fall of Reach, and it will sell you on the rest of the entire series. Okay. Hit me with a listener question, friend. Get me out of this, this halo spiral. Uh, this one comes from Libby. Thank you, Libby. Uh, if you had to set a high score on any arcade game to save your life, which would it be? Halo arcade game like you're at flynn's arcade <laughs> you're walking in okay it doesn't have to be retro but just like give me give me your arcade game that you know you can dominate i have to set the high score or i fucking die yep oh no what what, what alex you kick this off man what do you what do you got for me it's galaga if i think about an arcade game that i love and i, I feel like i'm kind of good at that's it 
Honestly, I probably could have guessed that. <laughs> I'm up on that double ship game. Yeah, go go figure, right? Like, <laughs> I like it's a Carol thing. Like, Alex loves it. My dad loved it. My mom loved it. Your dad loves it too. Yep. I, I enjoy it. I've never been like a hardcore Galaga player, but I, I definitely really enjoy it. But that's that's like a family thing with us. It's weird. It's a it's a thing I, I felt like I had to get good at because my dad was like, I beat this game once. You know, he's like, I set the high score. He, t- he said that the first time he did it, he had to, he spent like 16 bucks in quarters. He was at the arcade in the 80s. Damn. And just like ripped, ripped it for like four hours playing this game because it just took him so long. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll, I got, I'll get my double ship game going. You know, I'll get, uh, I'll figure out all the quirks and mechanics. But now I can easily get to them higher levels. Uh, the challenge uh, levels that happen, you know, periodically, the little interludes, easy peasy. Got them. I got the patterns memorized, you know, and Ready Player One, they talk about this, like Wade's like, I know the patterns of these games. You can get into the zone. That's a game I can get into the zone with. I can just rip it. I remember we were at trivia, bar trivia night, and Alex was a little bit late. That never happens. And he texts us and was like, hey, man, what are you up to? And he sent a picture of his initials at the high scored spot number one of Galaga on some arcade machine <laughs> in some random spot. And he's like, I'll be there in 15. I had to finish this thing. And it's like, what? I had to fucking pub stop Galaga. <laughs> 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 what the fuck? Where were you? What were you doing? I don't you even had, know. I remember getting that text and looking over to DT because it was just me and him at the time. And I, I had this thought. I was like, Alex lives a life that I know nothing about. And I'm like... <laughs> super jealous like what he's in he's in some underground arcade fucking knife fighting over galaga or some shit and he's on his way to trivia now like let let me go to my regular life see you guys i gotta quit galaga like what the fuck it was so wild (laughs) underground gamer uh no i don't i don't where was i it must have been like dave and busters they have who knows man they have one of those things set up where you can um you can donate it's free to play, but you can you donate. So you put in like your fifty cents, your dollar, your five dollars, whatever, and you can um, just you know you play Galaga. And I was like, I'm I am going to have the high score on this machine. I sat <laughs> down and I I put it in. <laughs> I I should have probably guessed that it was Galaga to be honest. But DT's right. I mean, it's like a family thing for us. Like we got for PlayStation for PlayStation, we had one of the only games that I remember playing as a family was Namco Museum. Because my parents had this like nostalgia for Pac-Man and whatnot. And the only game that I felt like inclined to play on Namco was Galaga. Because Dig Dug didn't work for me. Couldn't get it. <laughs> Pac-Man, I, I was not good at at all. Um, but Galaga just made sense. You, you, yeah. you scroll, you shoot. What about you guys? There's two games that I'm confident in. And the only one I would feel confident enough to play if my life depended on it and get the high score... It would be Crazy Taxi. Whoa. Ooh, okay. Hey, 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 kid. <laughs> I can fuck up a Crazy Taxi game. I can I can ruin a high score on Crazy Taxi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I never would have guessed that. I always get that Offspring song stuck in my head whenever I think about Crazy Taxi. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then you're off and going. Yeah, I miss that game, actually, now that I'm thinking more about it. Okay, I just want to throw it out there. Uh, I am uncommonly good at crane games, but that's that's not my choice for obvious reasons. <laughs> you have that in common with Lynn manuel Miranda. That's his uh, special talent. Did you guys also know I'm a Grammy award-winning fucking musical writer? We got that in common too, motherfuckers. Uh, my choice is the uh, Star Wars trilogy arcade. Whoa. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a story. No, I've seen this in person. This is wild. Yes. This is one of the stories <laughs> I'm about to tell. 
Yeah. So my original story was uh, I went on a family vacation and we went to Southern California. So we did Disneyland, Universal Studios, SeaWorld. And I don't like amusement parks. I was just along for the ride. I was I kept quiet, kept to myself, just didn't have a good time because I just don't like theme parks. And there is an arcade at SeaWorld. And uh, right as we're walking out, I was like, hey, can we can we throw some quarters and some games and play? My dad's like, yeah, let's let's do it. Because he knew I wasn't just wasn't having a good time. So uh, I sit down in front of the uh, the Star Wars trilogy arcade machine, and I never played it before. And I'm like, oh, this is fucking dope. I'm about to blow up the Death Star. And uh, my sister and mom are getting impatient because I'm just having a ball. Just I haven't died yet. Like I'm fucking <laughs> and I die and my dad throws another quarter in. I'm like, cool. Thanks, dad. And this keeps going. And my mom and sister are getting pissed. And my dad's like, leave him alone. Like he's having a good fucking time for the first time on this vacation. And I walk out of SeaWorld with the top all-time score on Star Wars Trilogy Arcade. Hell yeah. God. Yeah. So I've done it. I've gotten the, the all-time high score in like four bucks and quarters on Star Wars Trilogy Arcade. Fast forward to about 20 years later, me and Alex, before I had moved to Colorado, he and I go to this really dope arcade in South Phoenix called Cobra. Cobra, yeah. I love Cobra. And uh, it was like a Friday night and it was relatively quiet and chill for a Friday night. But uh, we get a couple of beers, we're wandering around playing games, and he goes off and plays Galaga, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I go and sit down in front of the, the Star Wars Trilogy arcade machine and he, he, you know, he finishes up his Galaga game and he comes over and he's like, well, you're, are you still playing this? He's like, yeah. I'm about to beat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm almost done. <laughs> it was insane. It was insane. Yeah, he's like, "What are you? What, are you, what the fuck are you talking about?" I was like, "Yeah, hold, hold on one second. And I finished. I finished the arcade game on like two bucks and quarters. God damn. Here's the end. Yeah, here's the credits. It's scrolling, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? That's buck wild." I went back. Here's here's my my experience with this. Right, I went back and circled around because we're jumping on different games. I tried to play that game. And I, I couldn't get past the inversion. Like, I couldn't do it. I, and then when DT came back, played it. I think he played it a, a second time just for just for kicks. And, and like, I watched you play that. And I, I yep, nope, it was masterful. It was good. That's, That's my- awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, miss, I miss times like that, dude. Just sitting down in an arcade and just fucking playing through a game. Fuck. Okay, so I've been impressed a couple of times by other people's gaming abilities. And I watch DT take down Star Wars, and I'm like, oh, man. Uh, yep, I could probably practice for the next 10 years and still not be as good as that. So <laughs> it's it's there's some some things just work and some don't for, for different gamers. I don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah, and some people can just walk into a Comic-Con lobby and fucking destroy an entire fleet full of teenagers and Halo 2. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're naturally inclined for, for different games, but because like, DT's tar- talking about Star Wars, and I was like, I experienced that! And he's like, I was there! The story. <laughs> I was I seen it! I seen it! <laughs> Before he can even tell a story. I've seen it in person. He would definitely survive. You can't have this one, Death. (laughs) Not today, Death. Death is even standing over there like, fuck. How many quarters did he use? God damn. Okay, I'm I'm, going to see you guys later. Here's my obligatory deep cut bogus journey reference. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be it now, right? It wouldn't be board games anymore. It would be video games. Absolutely. For sure. It, honestly, it probably should have been video games for that movie. <laughs> yeah. No, good point. Good point. Well, I mean, death is so old and ancient and esoteric that like board games and like electronic football would be his, his jam. But now that these games are so fucking old and we're so fucking old now that like NES games and classic arcade games would be what death would throw at you to, you know, try and steal your eternal soul i feel you know what i feel like death would be on the bleeding edge i feel like he'd be on the absolute cutting edge if you live for fucking ever you get really bored and like you want to do that 
Like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, new Halo's coming out? Finally. It's been literally an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> or 20 years. <laughs> I feel like the, the Wi-Fi and the internet connection in Purgatory would kind of be shit, though. You're right. It'd be terrible. Because, I mean, you go to hell and hell's got awesome fucking internet because, you know, that's where Comcast is from. (laughs) 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 I think that's going to do it for this episode of Space Castle. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please leave us a review and share us with a friend. Thank you, as always, to our good friend Brian Lovett for his help helping co-write our theme song, These Notes. And, yes, I helped write it, too. Shut the fuck up, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) My name is DT. I'm Alex. And I'm Seth. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you next week. Bye. Love you.